You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Weird. I was talking to someone, doesn't go to this church, but I was talking to someone just yesterday who said, uh, I said, are you guys going to church tomorrow? And they were like, they said, uh, no, it's a long weekend. If, you, um, if you're confused about why that's bizarre, then listen to last week's message where we focused on the, what is now the triangle, which is our, our Sunday gathering. It's that which we're doing right now. Um, we're going to get into the third symbol that is uh, helping shape uh, how we do church here this morning. And, um, but I do need to start on a bit of a, a sober note because it's at this time of year that we remember uh, those of us who are suffering, uh, suffering every day, sun up till sundown, uh, people who live among us, walking among us as, as the walking dead, those of us who, who every day labour under a dark cloud of pollen. We remember at this time those of us who suffer from hay fever. And if you're like me and you're a chronic hay fever sufferer, you know the burden that you carry. From the two great festivals, for me at least, the two great religious festivals in Australian life, from Grand Final Day to Boxing Day, is really hell on earth. And it's just constant watering of the eyes and sneezing of the nose. And... and and what changed it all for me, and I say change it all, I'm still, I mean, if you can, you can't hear this on the audio, but if you can see me right now, you can see that I'm carrying two rather large bags of licorice under my eyes at the moment. And it will be this way until relief comes on Boxing Day, right? That, that's generally when it comes. Sometimes it goes all the way to New Year's Day, but, but that's when relief generally comes. And it all changed for me. I, I, I mean, I used to be a lot worse. I don't think I could be speaking to you a few years ago, but a few years ago, I got a prescription, and I got a prescription for the drug Avamis. I don't get any kickbacks if you go and get this prescription, by the way, so we're clear about that, but it changed my life. Like, I can actually get up and walk around since I got this prescription. It is a prescription. It does cost about 60 bucks, but it's this little spray, and it changed my life. I've still got the bags. I still weep constantly. I still uh, can't really hear or see or taste anything, but it's a big difference. It's made a big difference in my life. So, <laughs> what am I talking about? Prescriptions. What we've been talking about over this very short three-week series is a prescription. We believe that God has given us, as a church, a prescription for health. And it's a prescription that is... Um, that is symbolized in these three symbols that we've been referring to, uh, the circle, the triangle, and the square. And I won't go back into all of this because last week I preached precisely 50% of my sermon and it took 55 minutes. So there's a lot in this, um, too much to talk about. Um, So I won't get back into it. If you want to hear about what we've been talking about, if you haven't been around, then go back, uh, go to our website, 
get the messages, but basically the circle represents the shared table, uh, the, the table where we practice hospitality. It's the ministry of opening our homes to one another. It's quite an inward-focused ministry in that it aims to build up the church, strengthen relationships, community, uh, accountability, all of those things. The triangle represents our uh, Sunday gatherings. It's, it's a triangle because it's focused upwards. In, in this meeting, you ought to be primarily focused not on your makeup or on your kids, but on Jesus. He's the object of our worship. And worship really only makes sense when Jesus becomes its object. Otherwise, uh, this whole thing doesn't really make any sense. So circle, triangle, the gathered church, and square. This represents, as we see here, the public square. It's our ministry of engaging our world with the mercy of Jesus. And traditionally, this has been referred to as mercy ministry, the mercy ministry of the church. So for the rest of our time, basically, I just want to outline what this square represents. And I want to say there's kind of four sides to the square. So if you skip over the next couple, guys, you'll find four sides to the square. Here are the four sides that I want to talk about. I'll just read it for you. Participation, restoration, conversation, and multiplication. Say that again. Participation, restoration, conversation, and multiplication. I ripped this off, like I told you last week, ripped this off Joe Thorne, who's written a whole book on it. I'm saving you the trouble of reading it in these three weeks, all right? So focusing on the square, the four sides of our square ministry, participation, restoration, conversation, and multiplication. The purpose of these three weeks is not to kind of elucidate the contents of a book or an idea. It is to take this prescription we believe God's given us and give you the biblical foundation for it. Because if there is no biblical foundation for circle, triangle, and square, then we're wasting our time. It's a futile endeavor. But if there's good biblical warrant for this, then we can take it and run as hard as we can. So first, first passage I want to look at is the one that Albert read for us. So go back to your Bible, grab Matthew chapter 5, or you can follow on the screen. Matthew 5, 13-16. Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says the church must be salt and light in the world. Two very evocative um, pictures that he gives us for how we ought to relate to the world around us. So what I want to say this morning, you really need to, this needs to be caught, all right? Salt and light ministry, this public square ministry, is easily identifiable and value-adding. Easily identifiable and value-adding. 
Our saltiness and brightness are seen in our good works in the world or in the public square. And if these qualities are not true of the church, then the church has become useless. If what I'm talking about this morning isn't true of our church, then our church has become useless or, to put it in Jesus' terms, good for nothing. I believe he termed that beautiful phrase, good for nothing. So let's just check ourselves as we go through. I've said over and again, this aspect of our ministry is the weakest. So there's going to be a lot of moments this morning when you think, oh, we're not very good at this. That's good. We need to recognize that and then do something about it. So four sides of the square, participation, restoration, conversation, multiplication. I'm going to explain these and then we're done, all right? Participation. First, participation. This is the easiest aspect of our square ministry, the easiest, because all you need to do is show up. All you need to do is be present in your church. Uh, sorry, in your community. So what I mean by participation is simply getting involved in what's going on in the community around you. And here's what underpins this whole ministry, right? This is the theological truth. We recognize that we are here for a reason. The fact that you live in 2017 in Caroline Springs or wherever you live is by design. No one is living where they are living by accident. No one is living when they are living by accident. Paul says it like this in Acts 17 verse 26. He says, from one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What he's saying is God has this massive blueprint for every person that will ever exist. And he has taken you and marked out where and when you will live. And the reason he's done that is because he has a purpose for you. He's got a path for you to walk down. And I'm saying a part of that is participation in your local community. And this applies to all activity, right? No matter what you do, you, God has given you purpose in everything you do. I mean, walking to post a letter at the post office. This is really good for us, those of us who struggle with a sense of purposelessness in the world, like a sense that everyone else is doing all this wonderful stuff and we're just little old men. This most often happens in my interactions with stay-at-home mums who are the heroes of our civilization and simultaneously the ones who feel most often like they're useless, right? You can be a stay-at-home mum who doesn't even leave the kitchen for the day and you have great purpose given by God, appointed by God for your days on this earth. He has marked out your time and your place. And he says, in whatever you do, whether it's changing nappies all day or being the CEO of a company, whatever it is, whatever you do, you can do what you do to the glory of God. So in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, really? You mean whatever I do? Like all the things I do? Yes, whatever you do. You mean like talking or doing? Word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to 
God the Father through him. You start doing that, and you're going to start experiencing great purposefulness in your life, irrespective of what God has called you to do. He says it a different way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In everything you do, God can get glory. It's just about how you position yourself in what you're doing. So participation. I'm thinking of a few different, there's a few different sides to this side of the square. So there's um, participation socially. Just think about all your social engagement with the community around you. This can be purposeful. And I, and I mean the most mundane things like going to the shops. I would recommend and have always recommended people from our church shop locally and consistently. So rather than traveling as far as you can to get the cheapest price you can on something, keep it local. You'll save yourself a bunch of time and petrol and stress. Keep it local and engage consistently with the same people. This so, for example, uh, if you, like me, enjoy coffee, then I would say choose a cafe and go there regularly. Get to know the people who run it, start engaging with them. This is participation. I'm drinking coffee like I would be anyway, but with purposefulness, doing it to the glory of God. You can do this with shopping. You can do it with shopping at the same supermarket and talking to the same checkout people. You can do it uh, recreationally, right? Most of us are involved in some kind of recreation, whether it's because you're a parent and your kids have to do 10,000 hours of sports every week or because you yourself play golf or whatever it is. You can do this purposefully in recreation. You can do it vocationally. Now, this is probably the biggest area that you can participate in vocationally. I'm talking about either your work or your school, or whatever makes up the most amount of your time. Think about how much time you spend vocationally. That is your mission field. So Paul says, God has saved you, but he hasn't just saved you to be this, the, the frozen chosen. He saved you to participate in what he's doing in the world. Participation. So in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Paul says that you've been saved by grace, hallelujah, but you've been saved to good works. And God prepared these good works for you before the foundation of the world. Before the world, the, the Big Bang or whatever, before that even happened, God had in mind for you these works that you are to walk in. And I'm saying that the environment for most of those works is probably going to be your work. Participation. In your vocation, in your recreation, in your social engagement. Hey, this is so easy, right? Like, here's what happened to me. I'll tell you this story. Where, um, when I moved here, I was in I was not only an eastern suburb snob, I was a coffee snob. And when we moved here, if you went to a cafe, they just sort of pulled out the international roast and started scooping it into your cup and adding boiling water. It was terrible. It, it was, I started questioning whether this is really where God wanted me to be. Right? And then they opened this cafe down the road here called Brew Brothers. If you come to a newcomer's event, you probably came to that cafe. 
And, um, and the guy who started it was really passionate about coffee, and he just wanted, he wanted to open the West to this, you know, to this uh, appreciation for good coffee. And so I just started going there every day. And I started getting to know the guy who ran it. His name was Hong. And, uh, and after a while, people from our church started going there as well. And so I got to know him pretty well. And I remember distinctly, he said to me one day, do you think me and my wife would be able to come to, uh, to your church? And um, I said, yeah, yeah, we'll put you with the rest of the pagans in the back, right? You'll be able to... Um, I definitely did say that, and he didn't laugh. Um, and he didn't get the joke because he had no church experience or category for religious life, right? So anyway, I didn't say that joke again, and, um, and I just bombed with you guys as well. So maybe it's just not a good joke. Um, after a while, he said to me, he was like, he was shocked. He said, you know, people from your church come to, our, um, come to this cafe all the time, and they're not weird. <laughs> yeah. Start to change people's perceptions of what, Christianity is all about. He's since moved on, but since he moved on, I've gone away camping with him. Like, we've maintained this great relationship, and all I did was show up. Participation. We've got to move on. Conversation. No, restoration. Number one, participation. Number two, restoration. By restoration, I mean the intentional effort to meet the needs of others in such a way that they experience a kind of help or renewal, even if that is short-lived. Intentional help, intentional work in order to see restoration. Christians have to be good at this because our whole worldview tells us that though God created the world good, it has since been broken. And so while others might be able to walk around and, and blind themselves to the reality of brokenness in the world and say, no, everything's great, the sun's always shining, Christians, by definition, know that's not the case. We know things are stuffed up. But in the midst of brokenness and sin, God is working. God is bringing about renewal and restoration. And we participate in that, and we ought to be participating it in very definite and intentional ways. Now, talk about theological underpinnings for this. In participation, it's acknowledging that God has placed us where we are for a purpose. In works of restoration, it's the understanding that God loves us, And that love for us motivates our love for others. So both Jesus and the Apostle John put this in very, very stark terms. Jesus says when he's asked by a young lawyer about what the greatest commandment is in Matthew 22, the lawyer says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this lawyer asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't give him the answer he's looking for. He gives him two. And Jesus says, these are indivisible 
What's the greatest commandment? I'll give you two. Love God with everything you've got. Make all of life all about Jesus. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you omit the second commandment, then you've missed the first. That's the point. If you omit the second commandment, then you've missed the first. Another way of saying it is, if you call yourself a Christian and you don't love the people around you, you're not a Christian. So John, one of Jesus' best friends, picks up Jesus' teaching and makes it even more stark. 1 John 4, 19 to 20, he's going to, uh, to 21, he's going to call you a liar if you try and walk that line. He says, we love because he first loved us. This is the chain reaction that happens when you become a Christian. God loves you. That causes you to love him. And it causes you to love others. We love others because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So the greatest commandment is to love God and the inextricable outcome of that is that we must love one another. Now, some of us get tripped up on this. We, get, we, we start trying to figure out which is more important, the, the words or the works, right? In the church, in church world that I live in, there's this, this war going on. Is, is words more important than works? Is preaching more important than participation, right? Is, is works of exposition more important than works of mercy? And those two things are not enemies, they're two sides of the same coin. They're indivisible. Your work of proclamation must be complemented by your work of participation. Now, for us in our church, and I can say for the last six years, we have done a lot more work in proclamation than participation. We've done a lot more work in words than in works. And this is wrong. Now, I can justify some of it in terms of using the analogy of trying to build a strong house. We need to build it on the right foundation. Jesus uses the same language referring to his teaching. I think all of that is true, but you cannot maintain the one without the other. So, I want us in the next season of our church life, to throw ourselves into this ministry. I know some of you, many of you, come every week, enjoy being taught from the Word, but you feel inside of you this great desire to do something with it. And we want to release you to be involved in this work of mercy. If you come next week, you're going to meet Duku Walater, okay? Duku is a great guy. He's a good friend and... Uh, and he, uh, he's, uh, he's an Anglican pastor like me. Um, he comes from a, from a Sudanese background. Um, 
He is working for the Melbourne Anglican Diocese at the moment, um, trying to get some of this ministry happening in churches. And he specifically identified the fact that there are a lot of issues at the moment with the children of immigrants. Kids of immigrants uh, are much more likely to get in trouble with the law, get involved in gangs, and just go bad. All right? And he's identified a connection between uh, a lack of support in their education and the outcome of their incarceration. All right? He's identified that link, and so what he wants to do, because he loves Jesus and he believes strongly in the power of the local church to be doing some of this ministry, he wants to work with churches to release us to help mentor and coach and teach children of immigrants who are otherwise going to end up in jail. And he's identified that really important link between the two. So if you come here next week, you're going to hear him talk for 10 minutes about that ministry. We're praying that God will open up a way for us to participate in it. We're praying that God will raise up people within our church to be doing it. And we're praying that God will bless the work of Dooku, which is he's got an overwhelming task ahead of him trying to get some of this stuff going. That work, if you choose to give yourself to it, is a work of restoration, trying to bring wholeness into an otherwise broken situation, and it is work that you will not receive recompense for, either as a church or as an individual. We're a church on the brink every week with coins jingling in our pockets trying to pay the power bill, and God says, even while that's the case, you need to give the coins that you've got to the work that I'm doing. He says, you need to love and bless and work for the restoration of those who cannot repay you. In fact, he goes a step further and says, not just the poor immigrants who can't repay you, but your enemies who hate you. This is so countercultural. This is, this is mind-blowing. Let me remind you in case you've forgotten. Jesus said this, and he wasn't insane. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because, and this is the whole thing, right? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, right? Why are we good to people who hate us? Why are we generous to people who can't repay us? Because that's exactly what God is like with us. While we were enemies of God, he died for us. Participation, restoration, conversation. Why conversation? Why is conversation necessary? Because kindness won't change Caroline Springs. Jesus will. Kindness alone won't change Caroline Springs. Jesus will. You need to be really clear about this. It's a both and thing. Like so much of Christianity, it's both and. Yes, we must love one another. We must love those around us, even our enemies. We must treat others as we would like to be treated. 
Yes, we must evidence our faith in good works, otherwise it's dead. Yes, we must do all of that, and we must recognize that that alone is not enough. I just yesterday finished reading an autobiography by Eddie Izzard. You might know him. He's a stand-up comedian, British guy, um, fascinating guy. I love I loved the book. He's also a, 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 what he refers to as a, an action transvestite. And um, anyway, interesting guy. And, um, and he says he's a spiritual atheist. That is, he doesn't believe in any God up there, but he believes in us, the power of us. And he said that basically every religion has this same golden rule that we should treat each other as we would like to be treated. And he says it's every, if everyone did that all at once, then the world would be a different place. The world would be perfect. Um, and he's right that it would be a different place. He's wrong that it would be perfect or restored. Because the fact is that apart, if you just address the outward action doing to others as you would have them do to you, you're not addressing the heart. And Jesus, this is Jesus' whole thing, right? Read through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. His whole thing is that outward action is not enough. The issues are issues of the heart. And so you can have beautiful outward actions and be a whitewashed tomb. You know, beautiful outward whitewashed niceness and inside be dead. And so ultimately, yes, we should do these good things for one another. And yes, the world would be a much better place if everyone obeyed what Jesus said about doing unto others as you would have them do to you. I don't know why we put that in the old English, but that's just, I don't know if that's, you know. It would be a better place, but it wouldn't be changed. The sickness would still be present. And so that's why conversation is so important. That's why we have to have words that go with our works because conversation is necessary for conversion. Conversation is necessary for conversion. And what we want to see above all else is conversion. We want to see people who are following Jesus as Savior and Lord. So Paul says in Romans 10, check this out. How then can they in the public square, how can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's the point. Verse 17, a couple of verses later, the point, he says, consequently, this is the point, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. That's how faith comes. You can't come to faith unless you hear. And no one can hear unless someone speaks. So yes, participation, yes, restoration, but there must be conversation. And here's the point conversations will come if we participate and restore. If we do the work of participation and restoration, this is inevitable. People will ask you, what are you doing? If you love your enemy, if you lend to those who won't pay you back, if you invest in the lives of others, people are going to say, the hell are you doing? You are weird.
When I first became a Christian, I got involved in this ministry visiting prisons and particularly juvenile justice centres. And over and over and over and over and over again from both inmates and people who worked in the prison, the question came, what, first of all, are you getting paid? The answer was no. Therefore, what are you doing this for? Like, if you live day-to-day in an environment and often work day-to-day in an environment that you would rather not be in, and no one could pay you any amount of money to be there in the first place, if someone comes in voluntarily and ministers to you, and by ministers to you I mean plays table tennis with you, the question will be asked, why? Uh, For a few years, four years, I mentored this kid through the Kids Hope Program, mentoring at-risk kids in schools, and I mentored this kid. All I did was catch up with him a couple of hours a week in school time, played board games, helped him with a bit of homework. And he would constantly ask me the question, after the hundredth time, he still asked the question, are you getting paid, and why are you here? That kind of participation for restoration will beg the question, why? And Peter knew this. He knew this in the context he was ministering in. His church was living in a pagan context, and he was calling his people to love their enemies. And he knew this question was inevitable. So in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. He says, Christians, if you're going to be living like Jesus, this question is going to be coming, so be prepared. And the biggest indictment of the church today, one of the greatest indictments, is that we don't know how to answer this question. So Jeff Vanderstelt says this, when we live Jesus-like lives, but don't share the reason we can, we can and do, we rob Jesus of his glory. He deserves the credit for what we do, not us. That's why we need to be very sure about the hope that we have, the reason for why we're doing what we're doing. If your reason is, I just want to be nice to people, you fall way short of God's intention for your engagement with the community around you and you rob Jesus of his glory because everyone will say, this person is such a nice person. And what you want them to say is, that God is a glorious God. Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that they see your good deeds and say that you're a really good person. No, no, wait, hang on. Let your light shine before men and women so that people see your good deeds and praise and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't you want to live like that? Like, don't you want to be so powerfully invested in the community around us, in the public square, that people who don't even know God glorify him because you are there? Holy Lord, that would be awesome. I 
participation, restoration, conversation, and a couple of minutes on multiplication. Multiplication. Multiplication, when I say multiplication, I mean specifically church planting. You say, hey, what's that got to do with works of mercy? Well, it's simply this. You want to plant churches that are doing this kind of work. Wait, back it up. We recognize that God's plan for the world is the restoration of the world. Ultimately, that comes when Jesus comes and <laughs> makes a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more brokenness. In the meantime, God tells us to bring his kingdom, establish his rule, work for restoration where there's brokenness. And God has so set it up that this primarily and most effectively happens in the local church. I don't mean in this building, I mean in your lives. And if that's true, then we want lots of local churches where this is happening. And what I'm thinking is we want lots of local churches where there is circle and triangle and square. I believe that if there are lots of local churches, and I don't mean big mega churches of thousands of people, I mean 20 or 30 or 200 or 1,000, it doesn't matter where there are local churches, local groups of Christians who know they've been saved by the grace of God and sent out to do the good works of God, where there is that group present, there will be restoration. There will be God's kingdom coming. And so if you look down the freeway, you're just seeing houses and houses and houses and houses being built, right? Fastest growing housing area in Australia. Boom. Where are the churches? There aren't any. There are Christians. God is ensuring, Acts 17, God is ensuring that there are Christians there, but they need to be organized, mobilized, sent out. And so that's why we want to plant churches. We've got this joke about planting churches from here to Adelaide, right? Right down the freeway. It's not really a joke. It's just an impossible dream that we've got ultimately. So we find ourselves in this situation that isn't really dissimilar to the early church, right? Where I have come from, moving over here, Doncaster, it's the Bible Belt. There's a church on every corner. There's a few churches on every corner. There's one of every different flavor, all right? Here, that is not the case. There aren't any. And so we suddenly find ourselves in a similar position to Paul in Acts, in the Acts period of church history, where he's whole, he's consumed by church planning because he wants to see communities of faith doing circle and triangle and square. And so in Romans 15, he's get his heart, he says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known 
so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I mean, you could plant a church in Doncaster. It wouldn't be the worst idea in the world, but there's, kind of, there's, a, there's a few foundations already there. From here to Adelaide, there's not much. Titus 1.5, he says it in a different way. The reason I left you, Titus, in Crete, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This was his whole thing. We need to get communities of faith organised, mobilised, under authority, sent out into the public square. Participation, restoration, conversation, multiplication, there is at least an hour of talking for each of these and another two hours of discussion. We can't do it on a Sunday morning. But I do want to encourage you, if this is your first time, you're only getting the square, you, you can't get the square without the triangle and the circle, right? These things, like those two commandments of Jesus, hang together. They're indivisible. They must be present in what we're doing. They are our prescription. If we stop taking the prescription, we will die. So I encourage you, keep an ear out. We're going to start this new course, and it's going to be a course called something clever, like Red Door Entry is what I'm working on at the moment. And, it's, uh, and it will be sort of an entry-level course for anyone who wants to be part of our church. If you want to be a leader in our church, it'll be compulsory. If you want to know more about our church, then you'll want to come. Basically, if you want to do more than just show up, then you should come to that. And, uh, and in that course, we will work on these three symbols a whole lot more, as well as some of the theological and methodological kind of distinctives of our church. So keep an ear out for that, that course. In the meantime, um, this little series has, has been put together to help us catch a vision. It's not mainly about information, it's mainly about inspiration, right? It's about catching a vision for church life. We want to be active in circle work, right? The shared table. We want to be opening our homes to one another, active in small groups, ministry of accountability, sowing into each other, loving one another, right? All of that stuff has to, be, has to be going because if we're not a strong and edified church, then we can't do anything for anyone else, right? So it's circle. We also want it to be a church where the triangle is, is central, if we're not going to be just a social club gathering around a table or a social work doing stuff for others, then those two things have to come together in the triangle. We need to remember this is all about Jesus. He is our Lord. We do these things because he has saved us by grace. So that will remain at the center, unashamedly at the center. And that should give birth to and excite and energize and mobilize our ministry in the public square. I've got nothing more. I hope, I hope you're inspired. I'm going to pray for us. Father, um, all I can do is a bit of inspiration. 
you have to do the hard work. So I pray that you would be working in our hearts. Even now, your spirit would be changing us. We are, by nature, selfish. We really are. We want to care for our own appetites and our family. And we want to barricade ourselves in our homes and take care of number one. And so, Lord, we confess this and ask that you would forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. Please give us the heart of the Lord Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord Jesus, we want to make all of life all about you, and we want to be more and more like you. So please, do this work in us. Please, motivate, mobilize, energize this church for the work of the circle, the triangle, and the square. For we pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen.